Well, have you ever heard this phrase, perception is reality in the eye of the perceiver? Growing up, I, I heard that a lot uh, in high school as I, most of you know my story, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and uh, when the pastor's kid messes up, the pastor gets to hear about it, and so when the pastor's kid goes home, the pastor looks at the kid and says, it really doesn't matter if you were right or wrong, because perception is reality in the eye of the perceiver, and everything you do reflects on me which is just a terrible weight, but it is reality. I think all of us, to a certain degree, understand this concept that perception, in some way, shape, or form, is reality in the eye of the perceiver. Every day we make ju judgment calls off of what we perceive, how we view the world. There's many things going on in our world today that, you know, we talk about optics and, and the way things work and how they look. And I think intellectually, we all understand this concept of perception. But I think there's something deeper when it comes to our emotions that we really go, okay, intellectually we know that it's not reality, but emotionally, our perceptions really do feel like reality. So, for example, if I was to take this bucket, and you were to, let's just make sure everybody knows the bucket. This isn't a magic trick, but I feel like I'm doing that. You see the cards? Anything weird about it? So... Uh, you see this bucket. If, if you were to stand on this side of the bucket, you would see what? You would see the Piedmont Church logo and the bucket. But if you were to stand on this side, all you would see was just an empty bucket. And so I said, hey, this person on my left, what do you see? Well, I see a bucket. This person on my right, what do you, what do I, what do you see? Well, I see a Piedmont Church bucket. Maybe it's a giving bucket. So there's a little more information. And so the perception to this person is a little different than the perception to this person. I have some other pictures that you may have seen. I think the first one is a, a guy standing on each side. There's a number on the ground. The person on this side sees a six. The person on this side sees a nine. And they both have very different perspectives. And that causes them to then see this number a little differently. Or how about this next one where there's a guy on a boat and he sees land. And he's like, oh yeah, land. And then there's a guy on land who sees a boat. And he's like, oh, a boat. Our perceptions matter. And perspective is a key concept when it comes to us recalculating our plans and our life and figuring out a way to trust God in the middle of turmoil, in the middle of plans crumbling. How do we recalculate with the right perspective? When you give your life to Jesus, you are agreeing to trust in Him rather than trusting in what you see in the moment. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So as followers of Jesus, it isn't always about what we see that should impact our life. Our bottom line for this morning is that trusting in God's promises when your perspective tells you it's impossible. We need to trust in God's promises when your perspective tells you that it's impossible. That's a huge part of recalculating. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to be picking up on a story that actually several months ago we started in a different series. We're looking at this guy named John the Baptist. And several months ago in our series, I think it was around Easter, 
we kind of started talking about John the Baptist. And I want to finish his story today in this series. And so John the Baptist, if you remember, is a Nazarite, meaning he had this kind of set-apart calling in his life. If you remember back to the Old Testament with Samson and, and others, there's a specific calling to be a Nazarite, and John has this. More specifically to John, he was called to be a preparer of the way of the Messiah. He was to go ahead and prepare a way for people to hear from Jesus. Now John talking about the coming Messiah, specifically talking about Jesus to a group of religious people in Matthew chapter 3 says this. He says, I prepare you with water for, or I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will be clear his threshing floor, and gather his wheat into the barn, but the shaft he will burn with the unquenchable fire. John's pretty intense right here. He's speaking about the Messiah, but what I, I wanted you to understand this context because this is who John sees Jesus as. Because the next day, he would go on and meet Jesus. And then he would baptize him right after this moment of speaking to a bunch of religious people about how important this Messiah is. Like, I can't even tie his shoes, or, you know, his sandals, as he would say. He baptizes Jesus. Jesus leaves that moment and begins his ministry. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up in this Matthew chapter 11 passage is that Jesus' ministry has taken off and we don't hear from John for a while, but then Matthew gives us a picture of John in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, When Jesus had finished Instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. Let's stop there. So John gets put in jail. He's imprisoned. And he, he gets put in prison because the, the king of the time, Herod Antipas, uh, is marrying his brother's wife. So Herod has a brother named, I believe his name is Philip, and he goes and he marries his brother's wife. Well, John, if you get a picture of John, John's not a guy who's just going to sit back and like let that be okay. He's a very vocal guy. And so John speaks up and says, hey, you can't do that, Herod. That's against the law. Literally, the biblical law. Like You should not do that. Well, Herod wants what Herod wants, so Herod throws John in jail. Now, Herod is torn because he can't really kill John in this moment because there's a lot of people who love John. He's got a big following. So he can throw him in jail without ruffling too many feathers. And so this is where John finds himself. He finds himself in jail for what most of us would deem an unjust cause. All he did was kind of speak out. And he spoke up for what God says is wrong. And I need you to remember that because there would be some in our world that would say that if you trust in God and you follow God, then no harm will ever come your way. Tell that to John in this moment. He's following God. He's speaking up for what God would say is right and what God would say is wrong. And yet the king of the day says, uh -huh, I'm not hearing none of that. You're going straight to jail. Do not pass go. No 200 bucks is coming your way. This is a monopoly. And John finds himself in this position. And I, and I think it's interesting that we should see this passage today because 
in our world, speech is getting questioned. What you can and can't say is becoming much more difficult. Like, social media is no longer a place where, I don't know if it ever was, social media is not a place to, you know, put your, you know, thoughts out there, right? You, you can't just go on a street corner and have a, a simple conversation with someone anymore because somebody's going to get offended because your truth offends them and their truth offends you and there's no meeting in the middle. Our perspectives are just way too off and there's no such thing that we can do and so we might find ourselves like John. <laughs> you know, I'm not speaking that into existence, but I, I do think we need to understand that as a Christ follower, He's called you to speak the truth. That may put you in a difficult position at some point in your life. And what John, hopefully, that we're going to see in this passage is that no matter the cost, Jesus is calling us to do this. But go back to where John is. He's imprisoned for what he would seem, or what he would feel would be a, a, a just an unjust call. And he's hearing about these works of Jesus, but John is going, hey, Jesus, I'm in jail. What about me? What about what I'm supposed to be feeling? John's in the middle of this impossible situation. Let's pick back up in the text. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? This would draw us back to a picture for John. That we are not guaranteed our preconceived notions of who and what God looks like. Meaning, these thoughts that we might have about God's plans may not always be the reality of who God is. See, John, like many of the Jews at the time, would have expected the Messiah to come in like reigning Messiah. Like war king He's coming in. He's going to abolish the Roman Empire and put all of the people who smited God's people aside because what are the Jews? They're God's chosen people. We shall not be wrong. Like that's how John would feel. And yet he finds himself in prison and here's Jesus going doing all kinds of other things and John would go, what about me? What about my situation? God, like I, I expected you, Jesus, to kind of come in and Throughout the streets, we should be hearing George Michael sing freedom, and we're all dancing, freedom, right? Like that's what he's expecting, and yet John's shackled in prison. And he's looking at Jesus like, are you the man or not? Because I'm, not, I'm voting not right about now. But how did we start off? Matthew chapter 3, Jesus, John's like, Jesus is the dude, like he is worthy of everything, baptizes him. The dove comes down, his ministry starts, and John's all in, and yet some situations in his life change, and all of a sudden John's questioning, is Jesus really the guy that I thought he was? Our opinions and our views and expectations are to be discarded when we come face to face with Jesus. Let's pick up. It says, and, and Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. 
And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So Jesus has his ministry kind of ordained in a sense. He, he goes through this baptismal thing with John. And that is the kickstart moment of his ministry. And he goes out and he heals people. He speaks up for those who don't have a voice in their community. He, he helps people. He, he raised people from the dead. And yet John would have the nerve to go, hey, are you like the Messiah? I mean, because what I'm seeing is not what I was expecting. You ever found yourself in that place where maybe God's moving, but you're looking for Him in a whole different way, and so you don't even see the hand of God at work? I don't know if you do this or maybe your kids do. I'm sure your kids do this, but you walk into the, the kitchen, right? And you use your, your refrigerator as a momentary air conditioning system, right? And you're looking in the fridge because you're hungry. And you've got the door open and you're looking and you can't find anything. So you, you close the door and you, you go to the cabinets and, and you open the cabinets and you're looking for something and, and you just, you can't find something. You close the door and you go, there's no food in this house. Right? You ever been there? Maybe your kids have been there. There's just nothing here. And maybe your spouse or somebody else in your family goes, there's all kinds of food here. It just might not be what you want. I, I, I do this on the regular. My wife gets mad at me. I'll walk in, and like our fridge and freezer will be stacked. Like it's, it's packed full of stuff. And over the door, hey, man, there's just nothing to eat here. And she's like, yeah, there is. There's a salad. And I'm like, well... <laughs> There you go. <laughs> That's not food. But we do this. We, we go places and we're looking for something, but because we don't see what we're looking for, we say the answer's not there. And that's where John finds himself, is he's looking for the Messiah, but because the Messiah that he sees isn't the Messiah that he expected, he goes, man, we just we don't have anything here. This house is empty. We don't have food. Jesus may be working miracles in your life every single day. Are you at a place where you can see what he's doing? Have you humbled yourself and just kind of taken a step back and said, God, I just want to see you. I want to see you move. Show me your presence. John was in the middle of this impossible situation. He's imprisoned in a Roman style jail by the king. This is a terrible situation. And all he could focus on was the Messiah and his expectation for Jesus to come in like this Greek god of war and just abolish all of God's people's enemies and reign supreme in this moment by slaughtering people, by doing whatever he had. And instead, Jesus comes in like no little G God ever. And He comes in as a servant. He comes in and He gives people the only hope that matters. He gives you and I the answer. He loves the broken. He heals the sick. He brings good news to all who are willing to listen and to receive. And in the middle of John's impossible situation, 
all that John needed to do was remember and trust in God's promise. In the middle of your impossible situation, are you reflecting on the promises of God for your life? Or are you too busy looking at all of the impossibilities around you? Later in this text, Jesus would go on to tell a group of people about how great John is. And he would use a word later in that text that would be used throughout Scripture. And it's basically a a stumbling block or, or, or something that gets in the way and maybe causes something else to fall away. Jesus says that he is that thing. And I don't know about you, but at first glance, when you read that Jesus would say that he is the stumbling block, he is the thing that gets in the way of people moving forward, you go, that's not the Jesus that I know. That's not the Jesus that I've heard preached my whole life. But if you look closer at the person in the work of Jesus, what he's saying is that if you can't take me for who I am, if you're expecting this God of war, you're not looking at the person of Jesus. You're expecting something else. And in a different passage, he references an Old Testament passage. He says, I am not only the stumbling block, he uses the same word, but he says, I am the cornerstone of everything. And so when we look at Jesus and we hear him say these statements of like, he's the thing that might cause others to fall away, what we need to remember is their eyes and their heart are not looking to Jesus for who Jesus is. They're looking for him to be some little genie that they rub on. And then he will be a stumbling block because it's not going to make any sense. But if you can understand the person and the work of Jesus and look to see who he is, he is the Messiah. He is the Redeemer. He is the great I am. He is before all things and after all things and he holds all things together. That is who Jesus is. He completes you and I. He brings us back to the Father when we ran from him. I said earlier that in order for us to really understand who Jesus is, we have to let go of all of our preconceived notions. And we've got to go back to the text and we've got to ask the Spirit to move in our hearts and say, show me Jesus. Don't come to the table with all your stuff and say, all right, God, I need you to fit in this box. Don't mishear me. Doctrine is, good, is a good thing. Having a strong theological basis is a good and important thing. But it needs to be built off of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Not just, well, I think. Or some worldly preconceived notion that we've found through other miscellaneous religions. Jesus comes in and says, in the middle of your impossible situation, I am always good. In the middle of your failure, I am complete. I am perfect. And so turn yourself to me when you find yourself in the prisons of life like John did. Instead of questioning who Jesus is, maybe we should just pray a little prayer that says, God, help me believe. 
Help me believe in the promises that you, you are who you say you are, that you are the cornerstone, that I can put everything I have on you because you are the firm foundation of all. Help me to trust in you. You are good in every way. Even when I stumble, even when I fail, you are so good. That's the step that I think we all need to take when we're in possible situations to trust the promises of God, to get rid of all of our perspectives, and to just say, God, reveal yourself to me. I want to trust in you. I want to believe in you. Your promises are good because you are the cornerstone. God, this morning, I pray that if there's anyone in here that hasn't responded to your good news, the gospel of, of who you are, that mankind was separated from God because of our choice of sin. And God provided a way through His Son, a sacrificial lamb, to take on the weight of our sin and the wrath of God. He lived a perfect life in humble form of man. Was murdered and three days later was resurrected from that death. And all those who may believe in Him will have eternal life. God, if, if there's anyone in earshot that has never heard that or never responded to that, God, I pray that they will do so in the affirmative. That they will turn their life over to you, that they will get rid of all of their preconceived notions, all of their perspectives and thoughts, and they will just open up and say, God, show me who you are, and they will do so. Although it's the end of this sermon series, God, you know that this step is the most important, that we must see you for who you are, regardless of our perspectives, because your perspective is the only one that God, give our church the strength to stand for that perspective in our workplace, in our families, in our relationships. When we get lost in the sea of busyness, in the sea of business, in the sea of all of the things that happen in our life that pull us in several different directions, may we always be anchored to you, our rock, our cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Move in our hearts. Help us to be an echo in this community and around the world of the good news of Jesus. It's in your son's name I pray.